Welcome to the Healthy Human Revolution interview series and podcast. My name is Jason Cohen. I'm a part of the Healthy Human Revolution team with Anthony and Dr. Marbus. And I've been doing interviews for a couple years now under Big Change the Film, where I interview others who've lost significant amounts of weight. Uh, I've interviewed over 100 people with a total weight loss of over 13,000 pounds. And myself, I've lost 120 pounds. And I love interviewing others to hear their stories, to hear how they possibly uh, lost the weight, what their journey was like, and to hear how it's made a positive impact in their life and in the lives around them. So I'll be doing interviews with others who've lost significant amounts of weight, others who have made big lifestyle change decisions to better their quality of life, uh, maybe improve their medical outcomes. And today's guest is Stephen Loam, Dr. Stephen Loam. Uh, Dr. Loam has lost over 90 pounds. He was previously over 250 pounds. He's a cardiologist in the Chicago area, and we talk about his journey today, also the difference that he's seen in his patient's health. And he's been practicing medicine for long enough to see how traditional medicine has kind of affected his patients, and then now to see how a plant-based approach has really made a big difference in his patient's outcomes and their quality of life each day. So we have a great conversation. I look forward to seeing you guys more around and hearing my voice. And here's my interview with Dr. Loam. I'm here with Stephen Loam, and uh, we got connected after I reached out to him. I saw his article on Forks Over Knives. Has a great story and uh, lost a bit of weight. So Stephen, first off, maybe we could just start off with a little bit about yourself, um, where you live or where you're from, and how much weight you have lost. Sure, and thanks so much for having me, uh, and this uh, podcast is wonderful. Uh, so I'm from Chica- Chicagoland area. I grew up in uh, Westmont, one of the western suburbs of Chicago, and uh, lost about 90 to 100 pounds over the last um, about four years uh, total. So um, I ended up going to medical school, actually. I'm a practicing cardiologist, and uh, really a lot of that uh, medical training and such puts a lot of stress on you, of course, and uh, like a lot of Americans, the stress eating uh, can can happen and get to you, and slowly the uh, the pounds build up, and that was um, certainly something that happened to me. Uh, and I have a wife and six kids now, and uh, super super busy, and it was hard to kind of balance things. But um, so happy uh, to be able to make the big change and uh, and uh, lose the weight and such. So great. Uh, thanks for letting me share my story here. So. Of course, and we should say before we say anything else, number one. Huge uh, congratulations to you and a huge props to your wife as well for uh, having a baby that we'll just say is under 24 hours old and she said to you, you should still go do your interview, tell your story. So (laughs) big thanks and congratulations and huge props to your wife. Uh, It's incredible. Um, So let's go back to the beginning. I think I saw in the article people around you were bigger when you were a kid. Can you kind of talk about that, the environment that you grew up in? Yeah, so I grew up pretty much a standard American family. Really, not not nothing unusual. Um, loving family, I had uh, I was the the uh, third of four kids, and um, both my parents uh, slowly uh, gained weight over the years. Standard American diet: the, the typical eggs, bacon, and sausage for breakfast, burgers, fast food, macaroni and cheese, box cereals, lots of dairy, and we didn't really go out to eat all that much, but we certainly had a lot of processed foods and and convenience foods. And um, you know, uh, my sister reached over 400 pounds in high school. And uh, I was fortunately a little bit more resistant to that weight gain when I was younger, uh, but it catches up to you slowly for sure over the years. So both my parents eventually reached close to 300 pounds and 
developed high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol and such. And uh, my sister, uh, 450. I reached about 260-something pounds four years ago. And it's one of those things that really creeps up on you, uh, of course, over the years when I have a lot of patients that, that say uh, to me, oh, that's, you know, I tell them they should weigh whatever their ideal weight is. And they go, well, that's what I weighed when I was 18 years old. And I said, well, you were healthy when you were 18 years old. Uh, you should try to go back to the weight that you were when you were 18. And that's, that's it was pretty much nothing unusual, just uh, processed food and standard American diet. And slowly over the years, there was really, even though I had a great caring family, there was not really any thought of how the food that you're eating is affecting your body, affecting your health. Uh, whether or not you're getting the right nutrients in it is just eat what your culture tells you to, uh, what tastes good, of course, and what's cheap and convenient. And we just went with the flow, and, and the result was a lot of chronic uh, issues, medical issues in our family. So, Wow. And one of the reasons, you know, I should say this, which I, uh, I'd love to get into a little bit later, but, you know, you are a cardiologist, um, so you have had, you know, the experience of seeing it in your own family, seeing it in your own life yourself, and then, you know, I'm sure an incredible education with patients over the years. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, everybody in my experience has their moment where they kind of say their motivating factor, whatever it is, where they realize that they need to make a change. And it, some people can get that moment sooner than others. For me, it took a, took a little while. I was about four years into my cardiology practice. And, you know, my story kind of comes from two angles, both the, the professional angle of uh, learning Western medicine and how to be a cardiologist at a major university, and then the personal side, which we just kind of talked about solely gaining weight in the standard American diet. But <clears throat> from the professional side, I was uh, definitely seeing that um, that diet and lifestyle had an impact, but it didn't hit me. It didn't hit me until I had my own personal crisis, yeah, around 260-some pounds, you know, multiple different obesity-related ailments. And I said, geez, I need to make a change. And then I really started watching my patients closer because I got trained in medical training very well, how to give people medications for high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and I would prescribe all the pills I was supposed to based on guidelines from American Heart Association, the American College of Cardiology, and was quickly realizing, you know what, the patients, they don't really like the pills all that much. They have side effects, they cost money, and even when you got that great compliant patient, they would still frequently have a heart attack, stroke, or need uh, a heart procedure done because I wasn't really helping them with their diet and their lifestyle. The cause of heart disease relates to diet and lifestyle, yet I never talked to patients about it because I wasn't really trained to do so. And personally, I wasn't following a healthy diet and lifestyle myself. And so it was kind of, it all kind of came together as I started personally trying to read about this stuff and change my own life around, then watching my patients and thinking, wow, when I really think how many of these heart attacks, all these different medications and the, the, that these people are taking, how much of this is preventable related to diet and lifestyle? I realized it's, it's pretty much all of it's preventable. And it completely shifted my mindset, seeing things from like a whole different angle, just thinking, wow, is this really what our culture and our food system and, and our whole medical system has, has led to? Is this whole whole issue of all these chronic diseases, even though they're all so preventable? So it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, and I certainly want to get more into, you know, everything around the time that, you know, things did change for you and all that. But just to go back a little bit, you know, I know that you said, you know, you had parents who ended up gaining weight. Your sister was a bit bigger. You were skinnier before. So what were some of the major contributing factors? I think, you know, to quote you, you said, I ate the typical American meal, which I feel like in some ways this could be like a, a, 
uh, 70s poster with like a woman with, you know, like a glass of milk. You said, you said, you know, I ate milk and cereal for breakfast, macaroni and cheese for lunch, meatloaf and mashed potatoes for dinner, plus dessert. It doesn't get a more kind of uh, American sounding than that. It It was very standard American. It was completely classic standard American. And, you know, we always had some kind of dessert in the freezer, ice cream or or cookies or something. Yeah, we had a meatloaf, mashed potatoes. My dad would make pizza at home, so pizza was, was a regular thing. You know, I had some fruits and vegetables here and there, so I had a little bit of good plant-based foods, but it was really, you know, a lot of times cooked in butter or or um, <clears throat> or oil. And uh, and so it really it really was just standard classic, and, and there was always unlimited food. We didn't really have a set routine in meal times. It was when you're hungry, you would just go and grab things, and there was always potato chips and uh, and, and other processed foods that were available. And, you know, when I was in high school, our high school, I don't know if they do this anymore, but they, they let us go out for lunch. We only had 30 minutes, so every single day in high school, uh, my senior year, every day it was either McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King or there's another place called Checkers. And we would love to try to get to Burger King because it was like 15 minutes away. So we'd have to get there in 15 minutes, get our food, and drive back and eat while we're driving back. It was always the, the, the classic challenge. But it was, it was fast food every day. Uh, and um, and then sometimes I'd have it for dinner too. So uh, and, and and again, when you're younger, sometimes you can tolerate that. And on the on the outside, you might look. I was a little bit maybe chubby when I was in high school, but the weight slowly accumulated. You feel like you can eat that way, and it's not affecting you when you're younger. But on the inside, it certainly is eating you up because heart disease and atherosclerosis, you know, starts really young. Kids as young as the age of three can already have fatty streaks building up, and by the age of 18. You know, almost everybody has it. So I'm sure when I graduated high school, what Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn always says is, and you get a diploma in one hand and you get the foundation for heart disease in the other. That was me. That was me. Wow. And then, um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, and, and we'll go into it, which it sounds like there's some great stuff going on with your, your sister and parents. But I'm thinking for you as a kid in high school, you're skinny, but you've got, you know, your family around you is bigger. It would be very easy to assume like, the path is chosen for me, you know, um, yes. did, is that kind of how things ended up? Cause obviously, you know, throughout you ended up, you know, over 250, um, you know, where was your mind at during that, that time? Well you, well, you know, you just don't really think about it because when you see somebody, when you're younger and you see somebody who's overweight or obese, the mindset just was, oh, that's just the way they are. That's just their genetics. It's, you know, yeah, it's in the family and, oh, geez, you know, I, I wish I was thin. I wish I, you know, could not have to worry about my weight, but that's not me, so I do really have to worry about it. And you just kind of accept the fact that that's just the way that it is. But it doesn't have to be that way because we always know that, you know, a lot of these chronic diseases, heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, and obesity aren't really purely genetic. They say the genes load the gun, but diet and lifestyle pulls the trigger. And so my mindset growing up was, I don't have any control over this. I'm eating what my culture tells me to, the standard American diet. If I gain weight and I'm overweight, that's just the way it is. My family's that way, yeah. And so it was just kind of, you know, I guess I'm luckier that I'm not as, as, as large as my sister was, uh, but I did have a younger brother who um, was able to stay uh, a little bit more lean than, than the others. So, um, yeah, that's that's just the mindset that we have. Okay, so, you, you know, eventually you become a, um, a doctor, you know, you're a medical student, all like, you know, you go through the, the gauntlet. Um, and, um, it sounded to me like through the interview, you know, and, and people I know or stories I've heard, it's a, it's a grueling process, lots of long hours, lots of stress, all that kind of stuff. And it sounded like for you, that kind of took its toll in some ways and, and manifested itself in weight. Is that right? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. So I was like one of the last classes where they did not have enforced work hour rules where you could restrict uh, the work hours for a resident physician to 80 hours a week. So I was frequently doing 100 hours a week and you get there at 6 a.m. and you wouldn't leave until 4 or 5 p.m. the next day. And then you would be on call like that every fourth day. And so, of course, you know, what I'm eating is, is cafeteria food and a lot of things from the vending machine overnight when you get hungry because you're up all night. And then the second you get off a call, the first thing you do is you go straight out to a restaurant and you shove your face full of as much food as you possibly can. And then it's like 7 o'clock, you go home and you just conk out, you go to sleep just to sleep for 10, 11 hours, wake up and do it all over again. And so it was it was super hard to, um, I mean, I was just trying to survive. I was trying to learn medicine, how not to kill any patient. You know, I wasn't even thinking at all about my own health, my own nutrition, didn't exercise, was physically inactive and just ate whatever the heck I can, I can get. And it was, yeah, it was a lot of stress eating for sure because it's it's a stressful time. So, yeah. And it sounded to me like you kind of entered your practice and then, you know, got fairly far into it where you were still overweight, where you were, you know. Yeah. Um, four years into my cardiology practice and the weight still continued. Um, I guess, you know, when you first get into practice, it is, it is grueling. There's a lot of long hours and stress. And so... I just continued the same lifestyle that I that I knew. I just continued the same thing, frequently hitting uh, drive-throughs in the morning for breakfast, and then uh, not bringing lunch with me. Pretty much didn't cook much at home. We ordered a lot of food and stuff at home, uh, and a lot of pre-prepared food, just like what I was kind of taught. So, and then did you ever make any kind of attempt? You know, did you ever diet? Did you ever say I've got to do something about this? Was there ever anything like that? Well, before the whole realization. Uh, four years ago. I did try a little bit eight, eight years ago. And <clears throat> I tried the typical just willpower. I'm not going to eat much and I'm going to cut back on calories. And so I tried that. And I think, uh, I think I was around 230 pounds and I got down to like 205 pounds, just simply being hungry all the time in smaller portions. And, and that was really hard. And uh, what I always tell my patients is willpower can get you somewhere for a month or two or maybe three if you're really good. But willpower will fail eventually because you can't do that for the rest of your life. It's just not going to work. And so I was just trying the whole calorie restriction thing. Uh, and um, it worked short term and then had another baby. I think that was baby number uh, three. And then after that, the stress came back again. And it did, I lost it all and I crept way back up to 240, 250, and then close to 260. Yeah. Wow. And I'm just thinking, you know, not to throw you under the bus here, but you've got patients that you're seeing every day, you're telling them, hey, you gotta, you know, we want to keep you out of, uh, you know, heart attack land. You've also got your own things going on. You know, what, where was your mind at? Was that on your mind at the time? Well, here's, here's what's really interesting is because I didn't really have the mindset that cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, clogging your arteries through cholesterol, I didn't really have the mindset that it was all related to diet and lifestyle at that point. And so when you think of a cardiologist, if you see an obese cardiologist, you, know, you think, wow, how can an obese cardio a cardiologist be obese? And how could they tell their patients to eat healthy and exercise when they don't do that themselves? Well, you know, when I was asking the professors where I trained at, hey, you know, why do we clog our arteries up? Why, why is it that we get all this cholesterol plaque? And I've, I've read the research on, oh, the endothelium lining of the arteries gets damaged and then you get some inflammation, the LDL cholesterol gets uh, oxidized, sticks in there and the plaque slowly builds up. I knew all that stuff, but what's the big overall factor that kind of unifies everything? And they would just say, it's genetics. If you smoke cigarettes, it's an aging process. Ah, if your blood pressure is high, you know, those types of things, you clog your arteries up. And those are the answers that I got. So I just kind of finished my training thinking that's the way that it is. And 
I didn't really understand how nutrition and diet and lifestyle really affected it to the degree that it really does. And one of the reasons is that the cardiologist who trained me, what a wonderful guy, and I love him so much. I owe him uh, so much for what he's taught me, caring, compassionate cardiologist. But he himself was obese, and I never once heard him talk to his patients about eating healthy, exercising, or losing weight, probably because he wasn't doing it either, and, and neither was I. It was just not the mindset. And so when you don't do something yourself, you're certainly it's hard for you to guide your patients that way. <clears throat> and the older school mindset of what causes cardiovascular disease really is not necessarily related to diet and lifestyle factors. But when you read the research that 99% of cardiovascular disease, <clears throat> according to Ornish, is preventable or even reversible related to diet and lifestyle factors, then you know the cause of cardiovascular disease is related to diet and lifestyle, and that should be the primary treatment and the primary thing that, that doctors talk to their patients about. But it's just not the mindset of older school doctors. So I never talked to my own patients about that. I would talk to them about their medicines, are you having chest pain, examine them. And I would actually have patients sometimes after heart attacks or bypass surgery say, okay, Dr. Lohm, uh, great, medicines are fine, I'm feeling okay. What should I be eating? And I would say, oh, I don't know. Um, don't eat fast food too much. Um, you know, unhealthy things in moderation. Uh, just don't eat a lot of junk food. And, you know, just very vague things. And looking back at that, that's really embarrassing that I didn't, you know, patients look to their doctors for advice. They, they really think that doctors know nutrition. I had no <clears throat> formal training in nutrition and how to talk to my patients about that or exercise or weight loss. And certainly, had no formal training in the power of nutrition to reverse disease, specifically using whole food plant-based diets to reverse disease. That wasn't even mentioned. I had no idea about any of that in training. And so it was kind of a standard setup that the physicians just don't know this. And so they just talk to their patients about pills and symptoms and, and the whole diet discussion. It takes a long time to talk to patients about diet and lifestyle. Doctors just don't have that time. They have you know, a short time with the patient, 15 minutes, and so they just tend to not really get into it. And a lot of times when a doctor does get into it with the patient, uh, what do you eat and you exercise and tries to get somebody motivated, the patient just comes back six months later and has a lost a pound, and the physician just kind of gives up. And it's, uh, it's kind of sad. That's our culture. You know? Yeah, and you know, you made the comment, you know, it's kind of embarrassing now, but my guess is, you can feel free and correct me if I'm wrong, that for, you know, 90, 95% of the people, if they have a cardiologist, that cardiologist's level of understanding or the conversation that they're probably having with their patient is probably pretty similar to what you were saying at that same moment. Is that right? Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Because, you know, uh, most physicians now, since they don't have formal nutrition training, um, and most physicians don't follow very clean, healthy diets, and specifically not uh, whole food plant-based diets like, like I do now, uh, they, they don't have that higher level of knowledge to, to speak uh, in an intelligent way to their patients about food. And I, I've heard really random, crazy things that doctors have told patients about what they should be eating, you know, eat, eat more eggs, or, or you should uh, drink Gatorade for your electrolytes. And, and so I have patients pounding like three bottles of Gatorade uh, a day. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's so much sugar in that. And there's so, so many different things um, that I hear. And I just kind of shake my head and say, wow, we, you know, we really need nutrition to be a very, very, very important part of, of medical training. And I think it, every physician should be required to get a certain amount and get certified in, in you know, evidence-based nutrition. Yeah. 
And I think I saw in there, um, you know, at some point you decided I'm going to follow the USDA dietary guidelines. You started exercising, even got to the point to where you ran two full marathons, but you still found yourself overweight and feeling poorly. And that was a struggle because, you know, when I finally had the aha moment, you know, all these chronic uh, diseases I was starting to develop and obesity related issues, I knew I had to make a change. And so I made all the typical mistakes that most Americans do. The willpower thing certainly didn't work. So I said, okay, I'm going to exercise like a madman. I'm going to try to run two marathons obese, you know, one at a time. And multiple injuries, and, and uh, it was really tough. Uh, I went really slow and walked a lot of it, but I, I did it. And, uh, and along that way, as I was trying to change my diet, I read those USDA dietary guidelines uh, for Americans uh, three times over. And that's a big document, huge document. I read it like crazy thinking, you know, the government's not going to lie to us, right? This has got to be real stuff. So I read it all and you, you get the whole chicken and fish, chicken with no skin on it, nothing fried. Uh, you can use olive oil here and there, low fat dairy products. And you know, the unhealthy food should be in moderation on rare occasions. So yeah, I'd have pizza maybe once a month, soda pop once or twice a month, really not too much. Desserts was once or twice a week. So those unhealthy things in moderation. Uh, and then I was eating a lot of boneless, skinless chicken breast. The foreman grills, grows all the fat out. I food prepped for the whole week. I brought all my food with me. I was working hard. I had developed a pretty good willpower at that point in time to give up most of the, most of the junk food, not all of it, still every once in a while. But the donuts and the cookies, I wasn't eating the whole box or the you know six donuts at a time like I used to. Uh, so I had gotten pretty good with that willpower. But after two years, two marathons, eating what I thought was a healthier diet uh, based on USDA dietary guidelines and such, I lost 40 pounds. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's great. I lost 40 pounds, but that was hard. I ran two marathons and I've been, I've been doing really good, like giving up these unhealthy foods. What's going on? What's the missing piece? I don't quite get it. And I just really thought that this is how hard it is to lose weight. And I was really thinking, wow, this is what my patients are going through. Who are we? I tell them to lose weight, and I never really understood how challenging it really is. It's, it was really challenging. That's what I thought. I figured, okay, it's going to take four, five, or six years of running marathons every year in this before I can finally get down to my ideal weight, which was my goal. Six foot one, I want to get down to 175 pounds. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. But then, randomly, Netflix said, hello, you should watch this thing called Forks Over Knives. And I said, what's this? And that kind of was changed kind of changed the whole path and then everything everything came together. My professional career as a cardiologist and my personal struggles with trying to lose that weight all came together because of one documentary and good old Netflix. It's it's pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah. Well I definitely want to get into that. I'm just thinking, you know, and maybe I'm I'm hopefully I'm not fishing here, but you know, uh you could almost have taken confirmation bias from that, you know, as far as like, I've seen these patients, they can't lose weight. They're trying really hard. I can't lose weight. I'm trying really hard. You know, yeah. um, no. the people around me are big. I'm going to be big. You know, there are all these steps along the way that could have easily given you an out, a way to say, to throw your hands up and say, this is just the way it's going to be. Um, so, you know, it's incredible that all these things happen in a way that, we're having this conversation now. Yeah, and you know, that's kind of the way that our culture is nowadays, because what is it, about 80% of adult Americans are overweight or obese? It's normal to be overweight or obese. It's normal, it's acceptable. And so when you're overweight or obese, and everybody around you is, you just kind of say, that's, that's the way it is, and you don't think too much different about it. Here's the problem. It's normal to be diabetic. 
it's normal to have a heart attack and have heart disease. Well, that's not good. So, I mean, it's, even though it's, it's normal and, and most people, most adults are overweight or obese and have chronic diseases, it doesn't mean it has to be that way. And so when you grow up in this whole environment, yes, there's, you have that mindset that that's just the way that it is and, and I'm going to accept it and not do anything about it. So to actually see that it doesn't have to be that way and you can have this much control over your own health and, and such, that's, that's the light that you really, people just need to see it, that how powerful it is that you can be healthy, you can do this stuff. The person, I, I tell my patients now, that the person who has the most control over their own health is not their doctor, it's not genetics, it's not fate, it's not, it's, you know, it's up to you. You have the most power uh, to lose weight, control your diabetes, get off your pills. I'm here to guide you, but it's, it's you. And, and you got to make that decision yourself to really focus on your own health. And that's going to be the biggest determinant as to whether or not you have a heart attack, stroke, need a heart surgery, how long you live, and the quality of life that you live long term, because obviously it's not a good quality if you have heart attack, stroke, or take a bunch of medications, or end up in a nursing home. That's just not good. So. Yeah. So you watched the documentary. Um, give us some context, maybe where you were at in life, or you know, I'm guessing you were close to 260 at that point. And I was. I had a, so when I watched, I started getting healthy about four years ago. It was 2014. So I lost that 40 pounds already by the USDA dietary guidelines and, and trying to run those marathons. So I already had the mindset of trying to eat clean and I was reading about the nutrition and stuff. So it was about 2016 that I watched Forks Over Knives, had never even heard of or thought about a plant-based diet or any of these things that, that Forks Over Knives talks about. And so when, um, when I watched it, I was just like, what? No, you, you can't reverse heart disease. What are you talking about? You see Dr. Esselstyn say things like, Heart disease is a toothless paper tiger that need not exist, and if it does exist, it need never progress. And I was like, what? I thought it was genetic and high blood pressure and smoking. I mean, this is all the things that I was taught. What do you mean you can reverse heart disease? Plant-based diet, this sounds really fishy, really foreign. This can't be real stuff. This is propaganda. There's no way. You know, he shows those angiograms where the, the disease reverses, and you're like, this can't be real. So I kind of, after I was done watching that, I was sitting there like in shock, thinking, what just hit me there? Because I've been working hard at this, and I'm a cardiologist, and I'm, and this can't be real stuff. And I was somewhat almost angry. I, I don't know if I want to use that word, angry uh, or upset or, or betrayed, that I wasn't taught these things. Because I, I still, even though I kind of somewhat felt that way, I was still very skeptical. And so I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read on this stuff. I'm going to re read about this plant-based diet. I'm going to do my own digging, look at the evidence, look at the publications. And so... I subsequently read a lot about Dr. Esselstyn's research and publications, and they're very, very powerful, good, good publications. But it was still small numbers; it wasn't controlled at all. So, but then you look at Dean Ornish's data, which is much more well done, very powerful, and the heart disease reversal that you got was it was it was very, very big. Five years so it was long-term follow-up. Ninety-nine percent of patients halted or reversed their disease with a whole food plant-based diet and lifestyle changes. And I was like, wow, this is real. And I think the thing that really put it together actually was Dr. Kim Williams, uh, media past president of the American College of Cardiology, who would make statements such as a whole food plant-based diet is a cure for heart disease. And if you're a cardiologist and don't tell your patient about the cure for their disease, that's medical malpractice. You can't withhold a cure from your patient. And I was like, whoa, this is coming from the top cardiologist. And he's such a nice, normal, humble guy. He has no, no bias, no financial influences with any of this stuff. And for him to make these statements, 
that really confirmed along with the uh, publications that I read that, yeah, this is real stuff. And so from a professional perspective, I started looking at my patients in a completely different way, looking at their heart disease as being preventable and reversible, same thing with their high blood pressure and their diabetes, but then examining my own life and my own struggles losing weight, I was like, that's it? That's where my missing piece is. I'm eating way too much chicken uh, and putting olive oil over my vegetables, and they talk about how calorie-dense oil is. It just kind of blew me away that we shouldn't be eating olive oil because that's what everybody thinks is, is that's what's healthy for you. And then the low-fat dairy thing, I was buying five gallons of skim milk a week for me and my kids and drinking, you know, I wouldn't say I was drinking maybe two or three servings a day, which is what the USDA dietary guidelines would say. But, you know, milk is baby growth food. And that just didn't hit me that there's that much sugar in milk and it's much higher in calories. We should really only be drinking water and that's it. So it was really quick, probably within about 48 hours. I was like, this, this has got to be it. So I cut out the meat, started having uh, beans instead. Olive oil was done, dairy was out, and it was really crazy amazing that within six months, 60 pounds came off so fast, faster than I couldn't believe, ran my third marathon in a personal record, and I was like, I reached my ideal body weight, and I was like, why did I have to struggle for, first of all, why did I have to go through my whole professional training and stuff without knowing any of this? And second of all, why did I have to struggle so hard for two years trying to eat the way that the USDA dietary guidelines say with, you know, these unhealthy foods only in moderation, small amounts. If I would have just known this before, I feel like it would have hopefully come together much quicker and I wouldn't have struggled so much. And having been through all that now, both personally losing the weight, transitioning to a whole food plant-based diet super quick once I learned that information and seeing how powerful it is to my patients, it's just, it's wonderful. It's completely changed my profession, my career and my own health i know now that i'm never going to go back to junk food i don't crave it anymore the unhealthy foods i don't crave it anymore i love the food that i eat it tastes great and there's such a huge variety and it's just such a big monkey off my back knowing that hey i'm not going to develop these chronic diseases that i've seen so many of my patients suffer from and it's really really sad it's one thing to see your family and have friends you know that are overweight maybe taking some pills but it's another thing day in and day out to be in the hospital and see somebody who's 40 or 50, morbidly obese, having had two bypass surgeries, taking 30 medications that can barely walk. And it's just horrible to think that that's a preventable thing. That didn't need to happen to this person. You know, our, our culture has failed this person. Our food systems failed this person. Our medical system and, and government policies, everybody's failed this person because all of that that these patients go through, it's predominantly, it's preventable. Yet, you know, I wasn't even seeing that myself. And now, that monkey's off my back. I've lost the weight. I see it. And it's just uh, so much more rewarding because I never had a patient say, thank you, Dr. Lohm, for these 10 or 15 medications. Uh, you're the best doctor in the world. That's great. Uh, but I have had so many patients now saying, hey, thank you, Dr. Lohm, for helping me understand the cause of my problem with diet and lifestyle related, getting me motivated, teaching me about nutrition and lifestyle medicine and, and guiding me throughout the way to lose weight. I've taken control of my own health. I'm not needing the pills. And I know I'm not going to have a heart attack or stroke now because of how good I'm doing. That's when you get the thank yous from the patient. It just feels so much more rewarding. And I, I just, I, my whole, my whole energy for practicing medicine is, is back. And I, I absolutely love it because just given the medicines over years and years and years and ordering tests and stuff, just didn't feel right to me. And now, if everything feels right, then it's all come together.
Wow. And I'm thinking, you know, you you notice such a huge change in yourself personally. I'm guessing, you know, when you have 60 pounds less, you probably have a ton more energy. Your job and your life with kids requires a lot more. Um, yeah. You know, what what personal things outside of just the physical weight did you notice change for you in those six months? Oh, there was there was a lot of things. I had horrible acid reflux, horrible, popping tums like crazy. I was gone. I had thrown out my back a couple times uh, for no reason. My back would hurt, and I used to have to drive like an hour each way to work. And I, I'd have to stop, get out and walk around because I had such bad back pain. That was gone. You know, when I hit the afternoon... I would be seeing patients in the afternoon, one or two o'clock would hit, and I'd be so tired. I'm like, how many more patients do I have? Oh, I could really use a nap right now. Uh, gone really quick when I went over to a plant-based diet. The energy level was just astounding. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, it's two or three o'clock. I could keep going. I have so much more energy. So, so all that was gone. Uh, it, 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 it was it's just amazing that, uh, that uh, <laughs> not that you want to get into any more details, but bowel issues, you know, uh, you get pretty constipated when you're not eating your fiber, that's for sure. And that actually is something that bothered me since childhood. I was actually saw physicians for abdominal pain and, and, and irritable bowel type stuff. I had uh, x-rays and exams done as a child. Looking back, that was all dietary related. That was all dietary related uh, because of the foods that I was eating. Yet, you know, my, my, my parents and my physician, my pediatrician, never once, uh, as far as I know, said, what are you eating? Maybe you should, you know, cut out dairy from your diet. Maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. It was always, let's do x-rays and make sure there's no something wrong with the stomach. And that was it. And then nothing was changed. And I suffered from, you know, bowel issues my whole life until going to the plant. Even when I was eating the chicken and fish and stuff, plant-based diet, all that irritable bowel stuff completely gone, like instantly. And I just, I just couldn't believe that because that was such a annoying thing to have your whole life. And so um, there was a lot of dramatic things that I saw pretty quickly after changing over to the, to the plant-based diet. And I want to get more into the, the professional side of things, but I'm thinking at this point you have three kids at home. I believe your wife is also a physician. Um, you know, I don't personally have kids myself, but I've been told by many that, you know, <laughs> drastically changing what you're feeding your kids can be a little bit of a challenge whenever you're teaching them to eat in the first place. And yes. I'm sure, you know, life is crazy. So how did... How did that go over with your wife and with your kids? Well, first of all, my wife is phenomenal. I mean, she's just such an amazing lady. She she always has had the mindset of uh, preventative type medicine. She's a family medicine physician, and she's always really been into prevention. Yet again, just like me, there was really not a lot of um, a lot of nutrition training, and certainly not on, on plant based diets. So uh, she was when we watched. She watched Forks Over Knives with me after I watched it the first time. I said, "You got to watch this." She watched it, and she was like all in right away. It was. It was a brainer. So she was all in. And she's always been thin. She's actually, uh, her parents are Korean. She was born in Chicago, but her parents are Korean. And so they had, they grew up on a traditional Korean diet where it was just teeny pieces of meat for flavoring and tons of vegetables and rice. Uh, they, they did use a lot of oil, a lot of sesame oil in their in their food. But for her, going on a plant-based diet was, was pretty easy because that's really the way that they raised her. Sure, she had McDonald's here and there, uh, but it was not an everyday thing. It was, it was a pretty, only when they're out and about on rare occasions. So it was easy for her. Now, the children, that was that was interesting. So I think at the point that um, it changed to a plant-based diet, uh, we actually already had four children at that point. Uh, but the younger two, I think we had a one-year-old and a three-year-old, so they don't know any different. We could just, you know, change their diet around, and that's pretty easy. But the older two, it was a little bit more challenging. You know, why can't I get McDonald's chicken nuggets anymore? Well, 
ah, you know, why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? Where's the macaroni and cheese uh, that I like? Uh, why can't I have cheese, pizza? What's going on? So that that was a struggle. And I never really learned how to cook all that much earlier. Now I've delved into it quite a bit. But uh, it, it's, uh, it was a challenge to find food that they would like. And initially, you know, you go through the whole transition foods to try to make things somewhat similar to what they were used to. You get the, the, the vegan pizza with the, with the, you know, the cheese on it. That's the vegan cheese, which isn't quite, isn't quite the same. But now, uh, now we eat really healthy pizza with no cheese on it, lots of vegetables. Uh, and, and it was hard. It was hard. Uh, but really, they didn't have a choice, did they? <laughs> because we're the ones who did the shopping. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, it was easy to get almond milk and you, they could sell their cereal initially and things like that. But now, We've actually got them to the plant-based diet. That wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Now it's try to make it more whole food plant-based. And so everybody's having oatmeal for breakfast. Now there's no more the more box cereals, and they're just putting different types of fruits and cinnamons and stuff on there. And uh, and still, when we're going out or the kids are at birthday parties and stuff, that's always the challenge. And we let our kids be kids. they got to be kids. Uh, but we ask them, you know, do you want to have the pizza that's going to be at the party or, or the ice cream or we can get you something different and actually they don't want to have it now they just don't want to they understand that uh it's it's not healthy for them and they just don't have that taste craving any longer because what i think a lot tell my patients a lot too is is, is really your taste preferences change pretty quick two three weeks or so for the most part and you no longer crave the unhealthy foods and i saw that in my family and my children as well that they were actually really really enjoying it i mean who doesn't like fruit so they eat fruit like crazy, uh, and we get them to eat their broccoli and their spinach. And, and my uh, older two, they, they pound salads down like it's crazy. Other people look at our kids like, whoa, uh, that's that's a lot of salad they're eating. I'm like, well, that's what we eat at home, and, and, and they like it. They use vinegars and stuff on the dressings, and it can, can taste great. So, it you know, it, it is a struggle at first, but, you know, if you work at it, you, you can do it. And, uh, and it's just so important. It's so important to do because... Not only because of the childhood obesity nowadays that's out there, the rates are so high, but like we said, the foundation for cardiovascular disease starts when you're young. Another quote I've heard is, is the person who shops and cooks for the family is the person who decides whether or not the family gets heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, or many of the cancers when they grow up. It's a big responsibility. And why more Americans and parents don't realize how important it is to feed your kids predominantly or exclusively unprocessed plant-based foods and not hot dogs and chicken nuggets and such. Why we don't get that as a culture is just beyond me. Uh, but I still have to stop every once in a while and say, wait, that was me four years ago. That's the way I was. And so even though I see it from the other side now, I still have to, to really stop and put myself back four years ago and, and say, that's, that's, that was my mindset before. So who am I to criticize other people? I just want to make sure that I can try to, you know, shine the light on this so other people can kind of hopefully come over and, and see how, how important it is. But. Yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, your your world gets rocked at home and your world gets rocked at, at work as well. So how did you begin to incorporate, you know, because I'm also thinking you probably had patients that you've been seeing for years that all of a sudden, you know, they come yes. in one day, Dr. Loam, the, the overweight person's not there. You know, you're yep. telling them all this crazy th stuff that, you know, they've never heard of. Where have you been? Yes. Well, I worked out in farm town too, rural Illinois. So it was not really, uh, uh, the, not really the culture out in the area where I, where I work. And so uh, what's, what's really nice is the patients that did know me for a while, they saw my weight loss. 
And so they would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? How did you lose the weight? And I'd say, well, here's how it goes. And I actually slowly over the years have developed a little talk, a little spiel or something that I give to my patients that you, know, you got to individualize it from person to person based on where they're at, what chronic diseases they have uh, and their cultures and their personal triggers and, and habits that they have. But I have this kind of set way to talk to my patients about uh, the cause of cardiovascular disease and how diet and lifestyle relates to it. And so it's a lot more powerful to give them that talk when they see that I've been through it myself, I've lost the weight and I follow a whole food plant-based diet myself and so does my wife and so does my kids and now so do my parents who've lost 100 pounds each plus in reverse of diabetes, high blood pressure and, and high cholesterol. And my sister, she did uh, have uh, gastric bypass surgery, lost 300 pounds, but now she follows a, a plant-based diet, 100% plant-based diet. And so when I tell them those types of things and how successful it is for me personally and how it is essentially a cure for cardiovascular disease, it's a lot easier to talk to patients about it then. But yeah, they, a lot of them were thinking that I was crazy because it, it does seem to a lot of people whose culture is very heavy in standard American diet or, or we need to be eating meat or we need to be drinking milk. It seems crazy to them. And, and, I, and I love Dr. Esselstyn's quote, you know, when, when people say, Dr. Esselstyn, don't you think eating this way is kind of extreme? And she says, you know what I think is extreme? Is sawing your chest open and taking veins out of your legs and, and doing an open heart bypass surgery for clogging of the arteries, doing all that surgery does nothing to treat the cause of the person's illness. I think that's extreme. There's nothing more extreme than the way that Americans eat nowadays. And so a plant-based diet is not extreme. It's actually just the opposite. It's extreme to not eat a plant-based diet, in my opinion. So. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, you know, as you're saying that, you're having the conversation with people. I can't help but be a little curious how that conversation sometimes goes, maybe some of the things you say, because for some people, you know, they don't have a cardiologist in their area. They don't have a cardiologist uh, or a doctor who believes in this kind of stuff, but they are having some of these conversations with people. So maybe, maybe in, you could talk about how you do it and maybe also how you advise others who aren't necessarily a medical professional, but maybe they do have that parent who has type 2 diabetes or heart disease or the friend. Sure. Yeah, first of all, the patients have been very, uh, very, very receptive to it, which is a little surprising. I've only one or two patients say that maybe they don't want to see me anymore because I tell them not to eat meat. But that's very unusual, very unusual. And so I think the absolute most important thing for healthcare professionals when they're speaking to their patients is you need to do it yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, eat clean, stay active, stay thin, then the words that come out of your mouth to your patient aren't going to be taken seriously. So the most important thing, just like they say, to get your kids to eat their vegetables, the parents need to be a good role model, is no different with physicians and their patients. That for a physician to be able to speak to their patient about nutrition, diet, and lifestyle, they need to follow it themselves. And the first step to following it yourselves is learning evidence-based nutrition because it was like going all the way back to medical school again because as I started realizing I need to know this stuff and I don't know any of it, it was almost like going back and studying and studying and studying and reading and reading and reading. So the physicians really, really need to learn it first, follow it second, and then work on how to speak to patients about it. So I, I always, um, you know, being a cardiologist, I'm focusing more on the cardiovascular disease and clogging of arteries. So I always make sure that people understand the whole process of how arteries clog up how the endothelium gets injured and inflamed and such. And I, I give them analogies. I have a lot of different analogies of how when you look at your arteries, think of them as being on fire. 
Anytime you eat something unhealthy, you have that eggs, bacon, and sausage for breakfast or, or even smoke a cigarette or whatever, you're essentially pouring gas on the fire that's fueling the flame that's clogging your arteries and inflaming things up. Why would you ever want to pour gas on the fire that's fueling the disease that is the most likely going to kill you? You wouldn't want to. But anytime you eat something healthy, you eat oatmeal for breakfast with some fruit on it, have beans instead of meat, you know, beans, beans, good for your heart, they always say, then you're pouring water on that fire and you're putting out the fire. And so it's super important to make sure that all you're doing is water, water, water all the time. So I give that analogy uh, to my patients. And so I think they kind of can understand those types of things. And then I go into a little bit about how, uh, a little bit more of diet, how dietary cholesterol, you don't need to eat any to live whatsoever. Saturated fat, same. It's not an essential nutrient. And research clearly shows that it clogs arteries up. And I give them the analogy of what I call the monkey and the rabbit, how the monkey's eating bananas all day, he's physically active, and the rabbit's eating carrots and running around, and monkeys don't smoke cigarettes, rabbits don't smoke cigarettes, and guess what? They don't clog their arteries up at all in their natural environment. Their total cholesterol, elbow cholesterol is under 70 in their natural environment without taking statin medications. And if you actually change these animals' diets to what a standard American eats, high in cholesterol saturated fat, within less than a year, you severely clog up the animals. Uh, and that's uh, it's not good in general to you know, do animal experiments, but but in general you, that's how research is done to to find how arteries clog and then and then what effects they can have. And really, that's what Americans are just doing is they took themselves out of their natural environment that we're supposed to be in and changed our our diet to one high in dietary cholesterol, saturated fat, and other oils and sugars and refined carbohydrates that are bad for you, and we clog up. But we know that monkey and rabbit is put back out into nature, back on its whole food, plant-based diet, and can get physically active again, that the atherosclerosis, the clogging of arteries, starts to reverse itself. One of the best-kept secrets in all of medicine, they say, is if you give your body the right conditions, it will heal itself. And that's absolutely true. And again, that's pouring water on the fire all the time. When you go to a whole food, plant-based diet with no oil, you're pouring only water on the fire every single day, and you're putting it out. And that's how you can prevent and reverse clogging of the arteries. And so then once you kind of see how that's been shown through the monkey-rabbit analogy, then I put it in the context with, with people. Talk, talk about Dr. Esselstyn's uh, research. Talk about Ornus's research and how this can be done in humans, too. And then I kind of say to them, do you know what it means to be on a zero-cholesterol diet with no saturated fat? And they, a lot of times after that whole thing, they're really getting to this. They're like, okay, wow, we can prevent and reverse heart disease. And they're like, no, I, what does that mean? No cholesterol in your diet. Well, you know, cholesterol is made in your liver or the liver of a cow, a pig, a chicken, a turkey, a, a fish, or, or shrimp. Cholesterol comes from animal-based foods, and that's predominantly where most saturated fat is. And there's no cholesterol in plant-based foods. Like an apple doesn't have a liver, so there's no cholesterol in it. And, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains, nuts and seeds are high in fiber, high in nutrients. You can get all the nutrients you need. From plants, we don't need to eat animals to live. The reason we eat them is just for culture, convenient habits, convenience, habits, and taste. That's it, not for nutrients. And so they, then they look at you. That's when the shock hits them. They're like, whoa, 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 you mean I need to give up meat and eggs and dairy and seafood? And I say, well, yeah, that's what's ideal. I'm telling you what's perfect. And honestly, you know, uh, again, you got to individualize this for each patient. But uh, I tell people, even if you get to 80 or 90%, you're going to be way better off. 
80 or 90 percent of your calories from unprocessed plant-based foods, you're going to be better. Because I think the USDA said in 2015 that only 12 percent of calories that Americans eat are from unprocessed plant-based foods, and half of that is potatoes from French fries and um, and tomatoes uh, from ketchup. So it's pretty a, a sad state of uh, sad state of the standard American diet. Sad uh, and. If you can just get more calories, even if somebody gets up to 50%, they're going to be healthier. But magic starts to happen around that 90% mark, where they're only having maybe three or four servings of, of meat uh, a week, and they gave up dairy and processed food and junk. Even more magic happens when you get to that 100%, and that's when you could reverse the disease. And so uh, you get a lot of people that are all in, and they'll go all into the 100%. Other people are skeptical, and I just say, hey, just dabble with this. Here's some recipe websites, books. Check it out. The food is great. There's 100,000 edible plant-based species out there. You're going to love it, feel full. It's a whole new world out there. We've kind of lost touch as a culture of how to make these plant-based foods taste great, make it feel uh, full and everything. Dabble with this a little bit and then choose a day and go all in for three weeks. You know, Use your willpower there a little bit. All in for three weeks because if you can do something for three weeks, your palate changes, your cravings change. And all of a sudden, you feel so good. You start getting that energy like I did. You're losing the weight. And maybe getting off the medicines quickly, especially with type 2 diabetics. And then they realize, I don't want to go back to this. And so that's kind of the way that, that I approach it uh, to patients. So um, I, you know, I'm sure other physicians have other ways. But I think people really get the point when they realize that more than half the visit, I'm talking about their diet and their lifestyle, that really that's how important that it is. And that's not usually the way it is usually on the way out uh the, the door if the doctor asks hey you know try to lose some weight and that's it and it's just a little passing comment because they know that that discussion is going to open up another 10 15 20 minutes and they don't have time they got to go see the next patient but that's just um not the way i do things anymore so that's all fantastic information um you know not to play the devil's advocate but i know that um i know that there is a lot of information misinformation you know, if you follow the news, if, you know, it's hard to resist the temptation to, you know, you look and there's a keto diet and there's a carnivore diet and there's, a, you know, and, and there's this, you know, thought that, well, dietary cholesterol and saturated fat are a thing of the past in terms of being the way that we think about heart disease developing. So I'm sure you get people in your office who are, sure. feel like they well, may be you know, educated. Well, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of different things to say about that. First of all, anything is better than the standard American diet. No question about it. So even if somebody's doing a paleo or something like that, I say, congratulations, you're giving up junk food and giving up dairy. You're, you're doing great. That's You're halfway there, but that's not quite right. Um, but at least you're better. And second of all, there is a ton of misinformation out there. And I personally, before I even read research, most Americans, you say, you know, people come in at the office thinking about, oh, saturated fat, dietary cholesterol. Actually, most don't because it's something like 90% or more people don't even think about nutrition. They don't even think about it. And, and they may have heard passing comments or seen headlines and butter is back or whatever like that, but they don't, they don't really register it because they just ate their standard cultural diet and what tastes good to them and they didn't really think about it. So most people, when I talk about dietary cholesterol and saturated fat, they don't have any fund of knowledge or they don't even know, hey, I thought saturated fat was okay or I thought uh, dietary cholesterol wasn't that bad for you. Most people don't know that. Uh, the few that do, it's pretty easy to to say, hey, listen, that's what the media tells you, and a lot of that those uh, those research studies are industry funded, not really designed well. And I have uh, plenty of ways that I can discuss that with patients and let them know the truth. And it's so important 
because the, where I got my nutrition information from before I learned all this stuff was the media. It was the media. Because, I mean, I would just be listening to something on the radio, and they would say, oh, saturated fat's okay. So I, I would just pass it off to my patients. Oh, that is the worst thing to do. I don't, can't believe that I would ever do anything like that, uh, looking back at it. But a lot of physicians, I think they, they get their nutrition information from, from the media or their own culture because nutrition research is not published in medical journals. It's published in nutrition journals. Uh, not necessarily as much in you know cardiology journals and, and everything that certainly should change. Uh, so it just it's not something physicians know. Uh, but in regards to dietary cholesterol and saturated fat, there's no question about it that dietary cholesterol is a major major contributing factor to cardiovascular disease. The research studies are so confusing in how they're done, and it's really hard to get a really good uh, study that's done. But you know you don't need to eat dietary cholesterol to live. And research strongly shows that when you get a zero cholesterol diet, which is a plant-based diet, that you get major reductions in your in your blood cholesterol levels. The average American's uh, cholesterol, total cholesterol, is about 196, and their LDL is right around 100 or so. Whereas the average vegan is got a total cholesterol just under 150, and their LDL is much lower, somewhere around 70 or so. And those are vegans, not necessarily whole food, plant-based diet. They might not. They might be eating more junk food and processed food and such. There's not a lot of data as to where the average uh, total cholesterol is for whole food, plant-based diet, but it's at least where the vegans at, if not a little bit lower. And so uh, that is very, very clear, powerful data. But the other thing to really think about with the dietary cholesterol is there is a lot of individual variability from person to person. You know, some people absorb a ton of cholesterol in their diet, and other people only a little bit. And so we do have some people go on plant-based diets and see dramatic responses in their blood cholesterol levels. Uh, and they, about 30% of people, they say, are hyper-responders to dietary cholesterol. But then you get a percentage of people where they only get a little bit of a reduction. You know, everybody will get some degree of reduction of their cholesterol numbers when they go on a plant-based diet. But other people, not as much. But here's the thing. Blood cholesterol is only one part of it that uh, even if they only get a small reduction in blood cholesterol levels, at least they're not eating foods that are inflaming their arteries and damage, damaging the endothelium, and they're protecting it. They're pouring water on the fire and not, not gas on the fire. And so uh, there's that component of it. And then you also got to think about dietary cholesterol, that nobody eats just cholesterol, right? You're, you're eating meat, which has cholesterol, and nobody says, oh, I'm going to have some good cholesterol for dinner. No, they have a steak for dinner, or they have their salmon, or they have their chicken. Chicken's the number one source of uh, dietary cholesterol, chicken or eggs, it goes back and forth. But so when you eat that steak or whatever, you're getting dietary cholesterol, but you're also getting saturated fat and all these other things, the TMAO and, and, uh, and heme iron and other things that can cause uh, oxidative stress and damage to, uh, to your system. So it's not just one thing. You've got to think of foods as a whole uh, and stop thinking so reductionist in regards to one nutrient. But the way the research is really designed about dietary cholesterol, it's designed to make sure that it doesn't look like dietary cholesterol matters much. Because they'll add one egg to somebody's diet or they add two eggs to somebody's diet and they'll see what the effect is. And Well, when you're already consuming a lot of cholesterol, adding a little bit more is not going to have that much of an effect. But when you really take it down to zero, you get a dramatic effect. And the analogy that I use is, is when people are if they're doing research on car crashes and mortality, who dies in car crashes, and they say, let's compare people driving into a wall at 100 miles an hour versus people driving into a wall at 90 miles an hour versus people driving into a wall at 80 miles an hour, and let's see who dies. And they realize, geez, no matter if you drove into that wall at 100 miles an hour, 90 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, 100% of people died. Well, you know, that means that speed is not an important factor in regards to 
whether or not you're going to die in a car accident. So who cares about speed? But what if somebody was driving 10 miles an hour or 20 miles an hour? They're not going to die in that accident. That's what a plant-based diet is. It's getting down to zero cholesterol. It's that super low cholesterol numbers, which is not, in general, studied. It's not part of these major research trials. And so they don't see the dramatic power of, powerful effect that it can have when you drop down to, uh, to zero. And the whole saturated fat thing, I could talk about the saturated fat thing too for, for hours and hours and hours. They were all the, the two big meta-analysis that said saturated fat might not be as harmful as previously thought. That's kind of the way it was worded. It didn't say it's good for you. It just said it's not as harmful as previously thought. And that was, of course, the media translated that into eat butter. Uh, it was all meta-analysis. It was not new research. And it's very clear that 11 independent organizations, including the World Health Organization, the American Heart Association, the American College of Cardiology, all these places, everybody universally says that the more saturated fat you have in your diet, that the higher the risk, uh, the higher blood cholesterol levels and the higher the risk of cardiovascular disease. And I can go on and I can cite references forever about that. So no matter what they hear in the media, what they think, I, I educate them in a polite way and I say, this is not true. Let me show it to you and I point them to different references. But yeah, well, I appreciate you kind of tackling that. I put you on the spot because, you know, for a lot of people, it is very confusing. It's hard to wade through the information. And I think especially, you know, you're in a unique position um, in the people that I generally talk to because for most people, it's a personal story. It may kind of uh, dip into the other parts of their lives at different levels. But, you know, for you, you know, essentially what you do is at the heart of, uh, you know, the, the effect, the change, the diet, everything, you know, it's, it's not just a personal thing for you. It's professional. I'm curious, you know, what have you seen in your patients that have complied completely? What have you seen in your patients who say, well, I'll just, I'll take a little bit, you know, cause you're in a perfect position to kind of, in a way, I mean, you're kind of doing research, uh, yeah. daily in your practice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've been advocating for the whole food plant-based diets for my patients for about, about two years now, pretty much ever since I watched Forks Overnight and changed myself. <clears throat> and I haven't had the patient who necessarily um, with proven heart disease reversal, me personally, because that requires you to do an angiogram again after they've changed. And all my patients have so, done so well after they've changed, they haven't required those angiograms afterwards. Uh, so I can't say that I've seen personally a lot of actual reversal by looking at their arteries with my own eyes. But having said that, I have a lot of patients who have been in this uh, this lifestyle now, and I, there's not a single one that I have, not a single one. It's only been two years or a short time, but not a single one that I've had that I've seen them, uh, progress any disease, have a heart attack or a stroke, or worsen any chronic disease. What I've seen is weight loss, reduction in medications, more energy, and they come sharing like how great they love the food. And now I give regular quarterly and, and sometimes more frequently little um, lectures to the community where we, we serve food. And I have some of my patients come in and speak to the whole group. I think last time we had 70 or 80 people there just a couple of weeks ago about how much they love the lifestyle, how good they feel, how they've lost weight and how they know now that they're not gonna, you know, they're gonna be heart attack proof if you follow Dr. Esselstyn's plan. They, they call that uh, heart attack proof. And um, so I, I've seen it in, in so many patients, and now I'm, I'm so happy. There's uh, people come, they drive a long way to, to see me about plant-based diets and to, to transition to this lifestyle uh, because it, it's, it's so powerful. And people are really getting the message. They, they really know. They know that not only is our medical system a little bit broken with you know, all the pills and procedures that we're doing, but they really, everybody's seeing the effect of standard American diets have. And, and so, it, so people are, are really getting it. 
And uh, I've, I've had nothing but good things. You know, I've had patients who can't make that transition as easily and don't stick to it 100%. But I have, I don't even know how many. I have at least, I don't know, 100 patients now that are following a plant-based diet. Uh, I mean, a lot, a lot. Wow. And then, you know, I know um, you used to, you know, perform medicine, used to be in medicine in a, in a more rural community. You since, you know, you're in the Chicago area. I think you now work with Dr. Kim Williams. So yeah. what, is, what does life look like for you now? What does your practice look like for you now? So the whole reason I changed my position is so that I could be closer to the Chicagoland area and really, really focus on, on plant-based nutrition and, and, uh, and lifestyle medicine. So yeah, the Rush system, I work in one of the, uh, Rush has more than one hospital. I work out in the suburbs of Chicago and one of them, and I said, hey, it's actually less than 10 minutes away from my house. I don't need to drive so far. This is great. And guess what? I work with Dr. Kim Williams now. And, and so um, I know that all the initiatives that I really want to do to, uh, to push forward plant-based nutrition is going to be backed by not only a major university, but arguably the top cardiologist uh, in the country, him and, and Dean Ornish, uh, in regards to plant-based diets and heart disease reversal. So my, I still do the day-to-day -day cardiology practice. I see patients with heart attacks, heart rhythm issues, and heart failure and all that stuff. But 80% of patients, there's always some reason to talk to them about diet and lifestyle-related factors. And so it always works its way in there. And now that I'm actually seeing patients just for this reason, just for heart disease reversal and, and transitioning to plant-based diets, I'm able to integrate that a lot more into my practice. But there's lots of other things that uh, that we want to do. Start our own little lifestyle integrated medicine type program focused around plant-based nutrition. Uh, we'd love to get the Ornish Lifestyle Medicine Program up and going in our institution, which uh, we're working on. That takes some time, uh, but it's uh, it's been great because now, you know, when I, I have these community events and and we're so closer to Chicago, people just flock to it because so many people are following this lifestyle or understand it or have heard about it, and when they know that hey, there's a, a free event with a free dinner and a cardiologist talking about this. It just, everybody everybody gets it, everybody shows up. So uh, it's still, I've only been in the, the new practice for six or seven months or so. So it's still growing and evolving as to where, where it's going, but it's going in such a, a great direction that um, it's uh, it's been way better than I thought. And I just hope that uh, it can continue to grow. And what's also awesome is, is uh, my current group, there's just such great people, such great cardiologists. One of them really quickly grasped on and already completely changed over to a plant-based diet himself. And uh, another one um, is about 90, 95% there. And when we look at the research and, uh, and go through things, they, people get it. I think that's another one of Kim Williams' famous quotes is, is there's two types of cardiologists, vegans and those who have not yet read the research. And so when you sit down with my partners and, hey, let's look, look at this research, then they they see it and they get it and then boom, they, they, they change quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a really good transition and I'm hoping, um, to do a lot more, uh, after my last community event, uh, this was a great story. Um, I mean, you know, there's like 80 people there and a lot of people approached me afterwards and say they, there was passionate people who follow plant-based diets came to the presentation and they say, we understand how important this is, how great it is. And, uh, the problem we have with chronic diseases in America, we need to do something about this in the Chicagoland area because there's not a lot of good resources. There's little uh, vegan groups and whole food plant-based groups here and there. We need a good coordinated effort. And so, and we need a leader for that. And I said, okay, well, I'm very passionate about this. So I ended up starting a 501c3 nonprofit called the Chicagoland Plant-Based Nutrition Movement, cpbnm.org. And we already got a couple hundred members. We got funding. 
And we have a good board of directors uh, from all of Chicagoland area coming from multiple different back backgrounds. And we're developing curriculum and whole food plant-based diet transition classes, whole food plant-based diet 101 classes, community events, screening of documentaries, jump starts already. We've applied for a plant donation uh, grant. We're, we're trying to really, really, really push for this whole coordinated effort uh, from a grassroots perspective because the change isn't going to happen from the top down. The change has got to happen from the people. And there's so many people passionate about it in Chicago. is such a huge, huge area. We should be able to all coordinate together. And so I ended up being the person uh, leading all this charge. And, and it's still very early on. It's only been about a month or so. But I can't believe the momentum it's gained already. It's crazy. And I'm hoping that that's going to end up making making a big difference, too. Well, you're, uh, that story kind of reminds me of my conversations with Paul Chatlin at PBNSG. And uh, maybe that's very true. I talked to him on the phone a week or two ago to, to pick his brain and say, well, how did you do this? Because he's got a great... <laughs> Uh, I think he says he's got 5,000 plus members in the Detroit area, and uh, and I'm like, wow, if they have 5,000 in Detroit, we should be able to double or triple that in Chicago. Chicago's huge, uh, and so uh, he's he's done a great job. He's been very inspirational. He works with Dr. Joel Kahn uh, there as the as the cardiologist in that group. But that's it's a very similar thing that we that we want to do in our area because when somebody is interested in a plant-based diet, it should be easy for them to transition. They should have all the resources, all the support that they need. It shouldn't be a challenge. And really, even if a doctor says, hey, you should go on a whole food plant-based diet, and they buy into it and say, okay, they leave the room and they don't know what to do. If, if, if they say, hey, listen, there's a little uh, a free course over here for whole food plant-based one-on-one or how to cook without oil or whatever, sign up for these things. And, and we want to have multiple courses throughout all of Chicagoland every month that people can go to and, and meet like-minded people who follow this way, get little counselors and guidance so you can kind of hook up with somebody or, or mentors, uh, you know, so that you can uh, have the person to go to if you're not sure what to do, I want to make this or I'm craving this, what I want to do. So we want to, you know, really establish that. I'm sure it's going to take, you know, a year or so, but um, we're hoping to really uh, to use their model and, and even grow and make it bigger. Yeah, well, Paul has, uh, along with so many others, certainly been on the front lines and has done incredible things. And uh, I have a feeling yes. Chicago will be one of the next cities that people are talking about, like uh, like they talk about in Detroit, just because uh, what they've done there is so incredible. Yeah, I sure hope so. I sure hope so, yeah. Yeah. So when you look uh, you know, in the rearview mirror, when you think about this journey that you've been down, you know, from 100-hour weeks and then, you know, 260 pounds and having your family lose, you know, hundreds of pounds and reversing type 2 diabetes and completely changing your practice, you live in the city now. Yeah. Besides all of it, what has surprised you about this journey that at the beginning you just could have never imagined? What has surprised me? Well... I think just the biggest surprise is that I didn't know about this before and how blind I was to it. It's like it's like everybody's got these blinders on and they're just seeing what they're taught and they just follow their culture, their medical training. And then it's just the whole, like, how did I not know about this before? I think that's the biggest surprise. And and, um, and now that the blinders are off and I see it, it's just, it's hard. It's sad because I just, every time I see somebody that with a chronic disease that's suffering, it's, it's just hard to say, I wish I could take their blinders off. And it's not easy with everybody to get their blinders off and to have them understand this. And so I, I think I think that's got to be the biggest surprise, that we don't need these pills, that, that Mother Nature gave us the greatest pills you could possibly take, and it's food, it's plants, and we could use that instead of these medications. But it's just, you know, the biggest stumbling blocks, and I've thought so hard about this, you know, is, is our culture and, and money. There's just, unfortunately, three multi-trillion dollar industries, the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the health systems, which don't profit 
uh, for preventing and, and reversing disease. So it's just not reinforced. And then we have the big the culture factor, which is which is a huge, huge play. And so I think it's just it's just the fact that I didn't see it the way it was before. And, and it's just a challenge that why can't everybody else see things this way? Because if they could, man, we could just we can annihilate heart disease and these chronic diseases. So I, I think it's, it's still it's still every day. I still have a hard time thinking that 600,000 Americans die every year from heart disease, which is 99% preventable. You know, we've chosen as a culture, as a society, to allow this many people to suffer and, and die from these preventable related preventable diseases just so our culture can continue to eat unhealthy foods that stimulate those happy dopamine centers in our brain. And we can allow our economy to thrive based on our food system and healthcare system and pharmaceuticals. We've chosen to do that as a culture, maybe inadvertently initially, but it's kind of snowballed out of control. And we need to actively take control back and say, no, we don't want this to happen. And it starts starts with the people. So. I'm sure oftentimes you have this conversation with people, but you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody on day one and they're trying to figure out, you know, they're they're hearing what you're saying, it's resonating, they're wanting to make a change in their own life. What do you tell that person going forward at the beginning of the journey? Well, what I what I tell them is is um, uh, again, it's individualized from person to person. If they're all in, I tell them it, it is it takes time. It, it it takes time to learn all this, but I tell them you need to learn it. You need to research it. You need to read nutrition. You need to learn how to cook. These are things that you absolutely have to do. That you have the most control of your own health. And the more time and effort you put into it, the better you're going to be at it. So they make sure that they understand this is there's no easy fix. They can't just take a pill or whatever. And I kind of give the an analogy of playing a guitar. I say, hey, listen, if I told you that you must learn how to play the guitar and you must learn how to play it really well. And if you don't learn how to play it really, really well, you're going to have a heart attack, stroke, need a bunch of medications, and you're going to die young. And they look at me like, what? Play the guitar? Uh, I'm like, I don't know how to read music. I've never played an instrument before. And so what would they do if I told them that? And it was that, that important for them to play the guitar. They would buy a guitar. They would read about it. They would watch videos. They would practice it, join a beginner's band, really work at it. But it would take them one, two, or three years before they got to be really, really good at playing the guitar. But of course, playing the guitar is not really what gets them healthy. It's changing their diet over to a predominantly or exclusively plant-based diet. And so I say it's no different, though. You need to read about nutrition. You need to practice it every day because you eat every day. You need to learn to cook, read these books, watch these documentaries. You need to do it. And if you do, after one, two, or three years, you'll learn the skill of a healthy diet and lifestyle. And just like you can't watch one video or read one book and be a good guitar player, you can't watch one video and read one book and boom, you're on a completely clean lifestyle. I mean, maybe some people can transition really quick like I did because I'd already been working on it a little bit. But most people can't. It takes time. It takes transition. And so I tell them that you really got to put that effort in and it's going to take time. But the warning I give them is not to let somebody else play the guitar for them. And that's a weight loss pill. That's a, um, a fad diet or buying food from somewhere and saying, if I'm only going to eat food from this weight loss service, I'll do that for six months or a year and I'll lose weight. So they, they sit there, they're eating the food, they're thinking, oh, thanks, I'm losing weight, I'm getting better. But somebody else is sitting there playing the guitar and they're just listening to that music. And so then when the year is done, they've lost weight and they think they're doing good, that guitar is handed to them. And they say, okay, now it's your turn. you got to figure this out. And they're holding the guitar and they say, I never learned how to play this thing. I've been... I've been letting somebody else do the work for me, and now I have no clue what to do. They'll go back to their unhealthy lifestyle and diet. They'll gain all the way back. So I tell them that they need to learn the skill themselves and put the time and effort into it. And only if they do that 
will they be successful for the long term? Because that's obviously the important thing is is for the long term. So that's that's kind of a little way I, I explain it to them. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you know, if you could go back in time and have a conversation with yourself at 260 pounds, what would you say to that person? Well, you know, that's very interesting because I, I think about that a lot because I think to myself, you know, how I was not taught about plant-based diets in, in medical training and, and, and how important, just in general, how important diet and lifestyle really is. Everybody knows that, yeah, you should eat healthy and, and focus on your health and stuff, but I was never taught how profound it really is. I don't know uh, if my former self would be receptive to it because, again, it wasn't part of my medical training. I wasn't following a healthy diet and lifestyle. My culture didn't tell me to. So there's a possibility that I would I would say something to my former self and, and my former self would listen. I need to have that moment. I need to be ready, just like a lot of people need to be ready. But pretty much, I think what I, what I would just say is just the simple fact that, hey, do you really want to be as you know prescribing medications your whole life and ordering tests? Or uh, do you want to treat the cause of the illness? And then that would make a lot of sense. And just try to emphasize it's just how darn important it is to focus on nutrition and start reading and learning about it because i, I feel i feel like a lot of these huge uh, physicians in lifestyle medicine uh, the dr mcdougall's the dr gregor the esselstyn and ornish they've been doing this for 20 30 years their knowledge base is so huge and i'm only into this for one or two years i'm like wow if only i knew this back in medical training and could have read about this and learned about this a lot more and really put time and effort I could know, I could be in such a better position. And I've been obsessed with reading about this now for the last two years. I'm trying to catch up to all those other guys. But but um, I wish I would have started reading it earlier uh, because I would be in much better position to take take better care of my patients. So I just, just hope that my former self would have listened to me. And I'm not sure. It depends on what point I was at, I guess. Yeah. And then lastly, you know, if people are hearing your story, it's resonating with them, they'd love to you know, find out more about what you have going on, connect with you, or follow along. What's the best way for somebody to do that? Uh, there's lots of different ways. I'm on Twitter, at Steve Loam. Um, I have a you know, Facebook page, Dr. Stephen Loam. Uh, and certainly, if they, uh, I have a website called heartstrong.com. One of the things I always loved to do was, was websites. When I first got into this, I was like, this is so powerful, so important. I want to put all this up. This information should be free. And so, one of the things I'd like to do as I'm learning is I learn about one topic, and I really put it together in one site and summarize it as well as I can. And uh, I tend to just put it online that way I can access it anywhere. And so I said, well, why might as well just register a website, heartstrong.com, put it up there and try to put together a little program so that people can go and learn about how powerful diet and lifestyle is, the right way um, to eat, uh, helping them understand plant-based diets and such, and other you know different dietary factors like the cholesterol and saturated fat we talked about, how important exercise is and the other wellness aspects and stress relief and getting rid of food addiction. So I put all that up on heartstrong.com and people can contact me through there. I tell my patients all the time, if you have a nutrition-related question or a food question, just go to heartstrong.com, click contact us, email me, and I email back and forth with patients about food-related things all the time. Um, I tell them, don't email me telling you you're having chest pain. That's not a good idea. <laughs> only for nutrition and stuff only. Um, and then um, and then certainly uh, cpbnm.org, which is Chicagoland Plant-Based Nutrition Movement.org, is another site, and they can contact me through there and see all the different resources and programs we have in the Chicagoland area if they're you know, from around here. Uh, so they can they can always uh, uh, contact me through there. I'm always, always happy to connect with people who are interested in making the transition or whatever point they I'm always happy to, to meet more people in, in, uh, involved in plant-based nutrition and lifestyle. Awesome. Well, I have a feeling this uh, this conversation will be a huge resource for a lot of people. 
Congratulations on uh, the weight loss, on the changes. Congratulations on your new baby as well. Thank you. Thank we'll you let very you. Much. We'll let you get back to that. And I uh, really appreciate the time uh, spending with me today. Well, thank you for having me on here. And it's, uh, it's always great to be able to share the story because I just hope that, um, that somehow I can help other people see the light, take those blinders off, and, and, uh, and make a difference in their life. So thank you. Thank you for everything you do with this podcast. I see you've reached so many people with this, and you're your success story is amazing as well, and, and it's it's great to connect with people who um, who have had similar stories and, and have a similar passion. So thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll chat again soon. All right. Bye.